Howdy, everybody, and welcome to the after party. This is Robert. I've got Zeb here, like always. And tonight with us, we have Trisha Butler from Clarksville City Council. She's exerting her her authority up there, I guess. And then uh, we have AJ Campbell. She's your chair of the whiskey, uh, not the whiskey region, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's what I thought. So, what do y'all got going on for us? I, I know we got some. We got some events. We got one coming up here in the Appalachian region. I know AJ said she's got one, uh, but we'll 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 get to maybe we'll hit it. Maybe tell us about it now. That we'll hit it again at the end. That way, people can make sure they know about it. All right, uh, we have a an event in Lawrence County. It's called the Gumbo Gumbo Jamboree. I'm not going to say that multiple times because I don't think I can. Um, it is at 12 p.m. Uh, that is with our new chair down there. His name is Spencer Hand. Uh, we're going to have some gumbo. We're going to talk some liberty. We've got Dave Jones coming in and Tom Arnold and myself speaking, which I don't know. It might be very entertaining because I've never really done that before. <laughs> so you might want to come just for the embarrassment factor. Well, that's good. Sometimes you got to learn to public speak on the fly by the seat of your pants and just just go with it. Oh man, some gumbo sounds good. I mean, I'm a little jelly that I'm on the other side of the other side of the state. I need to I need to make another trip. I was just talking to one of our Middle Tennessee boys today, and I, I was maybe planning a trip to Hermitage sometime. I don't know. I need to get that way. Uh, Trish, how's the uh, how's the new ba the new uh, billet? How's it treating you? you, you are you enjoying it? It's insane. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the world of Trisha right now in Clark's Vegas. Uh, so everyone always says, so what's it like being elected? And I'm like, it's terrible. It's everything you thought it would be and more. So, um, you know, it's we're, we don't like government. And now I am the government and I still don't like government, even a part of it. So uh, just a lot of stuff going on craziness trying to get some laws off the books while people are trying to put laws on the books um it's it's been it's been a wild ride the last few months i'm sure that's got to be tough you know advocating for kind of what we the, the the ideas we have in our our ideas generally speaking even though they vary uh, across the board for libertarians but we just want people to make their own decisions essentially is we want to be able to have ability to govern ourselves freely as the constitution set out to be I, I imagine there has to be some type of uh i mean i'm sure there's citizens out there that, that appreciate you probably hear from quite a bit you know the people of clarksville that hey we that has to help you help you out a little bit on the back end don't it you know they say and it's kind of true that when you're doing something wrong everybody tells you about it and when you're doing something right nobody says anything it's true to some extent but the few people that do reach out um, and they're like, hey, I really appreciate that you did this. I had one guy that was like, you know, F yeah, in my inbox. And it really is those people that well, I told you it sucks. So it's those people that I go, OK, this is why I'm doing this. And I can reground myself and, you know, drive on. So are they uh, are you having any luck at like taking one law off before they add another one? Or are they, are you, are you outnumbered and uh, losing the battle? Okay. So the very first thing that I proposed was a repeal of the short-term rentals, the Airbnb laws. And uh, 
And that's the first thing I did. And you guys probably heard about it because like even Spike Cohen shared it on his, uh, on his profile. So it's got a lot of a jazz. Well, it passed first reading seven to six. So we still have to do a second reading of it. And that was in, I want to say I introduced that in February. Um, so February, I introduced it in February. It passed the second time. It came up for the second reading. I was afraid there were people that flipped on it. Um, and then they postponed it. So it's like, I can't even get one thing done because it's always getting pushed off. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably, probably aggra uh, ag aggravating, you know, especially even just looking at the work with like, uh, all the information and intel that, uh, for all Tennessee feeds, that's looking at how slow the proceedings are. And especially after like you have verifiable proof that it was it was passed you know we're talking about ballot access was hb 0806 something like that uh, 0609 0608 yeah. yeah probably that one uh <laughs> but yeah still i mean the how slow that is for them to just be like okay obviously we ruled this wrong we're going to do it right and then it'll go to the next respective legislative step and uh like uh yeah i can i can only imagine they could drag it as far as they want on the county level. Uh, you've got people unsympathetic to your cause. Um, so Whiskey Region, tell me exactly wh which counties are in the Whiskey Region, AJ? Because, again, <laughs> I'm probably the newest libertarian here. Like, I've only been a libertarian for about a year when I finally was just like, you know what? I'm tired of unconstitutional wars. I'm tired of this. Like, everything is BS. This is literally the matrix, uh, and I'm done with it. So, I mean, I've so I, I don't, I'm not as up to date on the regions and where they're at as I should be, uh, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about your, your, your region and the whiskey region. Area. Uh, I am over in counties from Lawrence County and then up and around. It's a really odd shape <laughs> up to Franklin County. So the 13 counties in between that includes like Cannon County, Murray County, Coffee County, Franklin, Warren, which is where I'm at. Uh, we've got... Lawrence, and I'm missing some, so I'll just go ahead and tell you. I don't have all 13 right at hand. Fair uh, enough, fair enough. I also don't have chairs in all of my counties, so if you're watching this and you are in the Whiskey Region or you like the Whiskey Region page, please contact me. I would love to get to know you. Um, now, we, we are hoping to grow um, much more efficiently. Um, not just have people that are just excited for this election, but people that are excited to work all the way through the year. Uh, we want to do a more outreach, um, going out in the community, actually putting the volunteerism, you know, putting that to work because people say that's the part that doesn't work. That's the part that I had a hard time with when I became a libertarian was believing in the greater good, believing that humans will choose the right direction, right? that's fair for everybody, that doesn't, doesn't impede on anyone else's rights, doesn't, you know, uh, necessarily cause issues. Because right now, it, it just seems like everybody's stepping on everybody's everything. Why, why is this an issue? We're all humans. We're all here doing the exact same thing. Why are we causing impediments for, for each other? Um, so mostly, I, I want to look at uh, the human aspect of it. Um, we are looking at planning an event with the Nashville region um, in Murfreesboro um, that will 
uh, center on um, supplying the homeless with a meal that day and a care package. Um, that's just the beginning. Hopefully, we'll have these events through the next six months. No, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I really I like your people aspect and, like, how sincere you come off on our small conversations we've had. Uh, and, you know, you and I were talking heavily about and I've also talked to guys within the Mises Caucus about it, uh, about, you know, we got to do more events and, pe and people events, in-person events. Like, even, like, to the point we were talking about music the other day, I think me and you and AJ about to have, like, music shows as a form of protest right now, to have live events as a form of protest in certain areas. There are, there's obviously counties that aren't recognizing it and they're letting, they're being less restrictive and, I, and awesome to those guys. Like, y'all are the real heroes. If you're in a position of power in government and you're saying, you know what, we're going to let y'all do your thing, you should be allowed to do that, uh, then yeah, kudos. But that's nine times out of ten not the situation. Uh, so yeah, we got to do, do uh, all sorts of uh people event for the liberty movement to grow grow in my opinion you know what i mean uh i'll tell you something that's inspirational is the athens over there celebrating their battle of athens coming up that's coming up how quickly is that coming up does anybody that's have a date on that? what is it that one's july the 31st july the 31st yeah, yeah, but we all have a suzanne's, yeah suzanne's doing uh she put together a parade for that she's putting together mm -hmm. a parade for that yeah, that's, awesome. um, that's the reason that I know is I, I, I need to have a float ready by then. So I became a libertarian and I saw more of Tennessee than I've ever seen the entire time I've lived here. Um, and I've I've met more people, but I also get to do these crazy things like go to Memphis and, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the dancing on the sidewalk is the Statue of Liberty, you know, whatever. That's not the craziest thing that we did. And now I get to make a float like my inner Martha Stewart is like insane right now. So happy. That's what I started doing was I spray painted bottles and whatnot. I was just the crafty chick that made the decorations. So all of this, the, the chair business. Yeah, this is so new. So it's so going to be a great big decoration. Oh, yes, I know. I'm so excited that everything in me squealed like, yes. So I don't know. I wasn't one of the cool kids in high school that got to work on the homecoming float. So oh. now you are. <laughs> So you're from a, the whiskey region is kind of rural, right? You know, based on you know, small. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like up here. I mean, we, we have uh, Johnson City and Kingsport up here that, you know, have a in the, the Appalachian region. And it's just there's a struggle to find anybody up here to try to fill a county chair spot and to try to get some traction going on. And uh, I did that for a while. And we, we got we got a couple people and then. I was like, I'm kind of tired. I need a break. And then Chris Darnell took over. And with the, the election last year, that brought in some interest. And it seems like some of that interest is sticking around at least for a few months. And we've got people that are stepping up. So hopefully you're going to see more of that down there, too. And we, we don't have all the all the county chair slots filled up here either. They're, I think we're about six out of ten, maybe somewhere in that neighborhood, five or six out of ten. So hopefully, you know, you're going to get more of that down there, too. And uh fill those spots and then they can start finding people in their own counties. Yes, I, that's the plan. And I, I really do hope to reach out to people with music because if it wasn't for the end of live music in 2020, I probably wouldn't have joined the Libertarian Party because I was at concerts all the time. I was out there with people like that's that's my therapy, you know. Um, so, yeah, bringing back live music as a form of protest, um, bringing in Libertarian 
speakers and, and us all, I don't know, actually experiencing something together and learning from each other. Like, I don't know. This just feels like the direction we need to go in. Right. I, I don't think humans are meant to be uh, solitary like they've expected us to be for the past year. And, you know, the news reports I've seen of especially kid, kids like 10, 11 years old committing suicide because they feel their life is over because they've been locked away for a year. And, you know, it's it, it's just been kind of crazy. Like uh, I homeschool my son and the last year for us, other than our co-op shutdown, you know, that we, we would go to once a week during the school year. We still do the same stuff. We still go. We go visit my family in Missouri. We we volunteer to help with a second harvest food bank every month. Um, we, we go places and do things. But other kids around that are in public school, they're locked away. They're just at home. They're finally getting a lot of the. They're, they're, a lot of them are going to to uh, school two days a week. Then they have a day off to clean everything, and they go back two days a week. And it's and I think a lot of those kids initially started doing that because their parents needed they needed someone to watch them. You know, they couldn't stay home from work anymore. So it, it's it's just been a struggle. And I think kids have really suffered. Like uh, babies, you know, like one you know six months, one year old have only seen people with masks on outside. That's just, to me, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's inhuman almost to, to have little kids see everybody except for maybe their immediate family with masks on. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you bring up a good point for about the schools. I mean, and I think one thing I want to like, I'm going to play the devil's advocate and kind of like give a, and it's really, it's really more to the, uh, credit to Glenn Jacobs and his push within Knox County to make sure that he was, he, he kind of reined in the control of the health board. So the health board couldn't just say unilaterally, all right, we're shutting school down. This is deemed too, too reckless. We're going to shut, we're going to shut. And we've been in Knox County, we've been open. Uh, and that's been great, man. And I'll tell you what, firsthand, it does matter. In-person learning versus virtual learning, uh, especially when you talk about like CTE uh, career and technical education and, you know, learning hard skills and welding, plumbing, electricity, electric work. Uh, I mean, there is, we in America, in Tennessee, we're, we're blessed with a thriving economy. We do have a strong economy and we've got lots of, lots of skilled, skilled labor that needs to be filled out there. And uh, the one thing I can say, a testament to Knox County, and I don't know what it looks like all the way, well, all the way across the state, but in Knox County and, and Campbell County to a degree, I mean, they've been open for the most part. Besides like one one week they shut us down. Uh, I will say this, though. I was thinking about this on the way home tonight from uh, my night class. Uh, when they shut us down at the end of the year last year in spring, that was terrible. Uh, it was a disaster. Uh, and I think in hindsight, I think, I think I hope. I don't, I'm not going to say I think. I hope leaders will recognize that no matter what we should never shut down again like that. Like we should never deem people essential and non-essential again, never again. Uh, especially when you look at the data, when you look at places that like, for example, maybe implemented health, health measures versus places that just shut down the whole, t the whole way. Uh, they, the people that didn't shut down did better. You know, now we could argue about masks as well, which I don't, I don't want to shut down the economy, you know, but I, I think I hope leaders will learn that never again will we shut down the way we have. Uh, 
you know, Trish, tell us about Clarksville. Is Clarksville kind of open? Is it open dish? Yeah, I was actually going to jump in there and say, well, let me tell you about Clarksville, uh, especially because I actually am uh, slightly different from them, from what you guys are saying. So for me, I've never been against wearing masks and I've never been against staying home or social distancing. I've always been against the mandate because people need to make their own decision. So in my house, what that looked like for us was, you know, stay at home. Now this staying home has been good for my family because I've been campaigning for, for two years. I was campaigning a year before COVID even started. So that first month when everything shut down and we all stayed home for about a month, Um, I spent like a lot more time with the family and we started a garden. So, you know, that I have a much different experience because I was over, overdoing it beforehand. But, um, and, and I don't know that everyone in Clarksville would agree with me, but my observation has been, especially talking to my family that lives in Pittsburgh, um, some of you guys that live in different parts of the city or of, of the state, um, and then California people, because I, I have family that are, are stretched to the winds because I'm military. Um, I feel like we had it fairly easily. We had the mandate the whole way through. But I mean, if you went and you if you went into Walmart, they'd make you put a mask on at the door because that's what they do. But if you were walking around in Walmart, no one really paid attention, you know. So I kind I feel like um, even though the mandate was there, people were kind of doing whatever they wanted anyway, which that was cool with me. And, um, we did shut down school at the end of last year, which was just, you know, like a a few months. Um, but everyone was given the option whether to send their kids back to school or not. So some people's kids went back to school. Mine went back in January. We, um, we kept them home through, through the beginning of the school year and then the holidays. So I, I just feel like maybe in our area and I'm not, any any of the regulation restriction mandate is bad, but comparatively to other parts of the country, and especially because Clarksville is the fifth biggest city in the in the state, I feel like we did pretty good. Like we we had it a little better than uh than some other areas and people. Oh yeah, I I completely agree with you, especially when you look at places like San Francisco, where the most liberal city uh, in the nation, arguably. Uh, is suing their school board because they won't send their they won't let their kids come back to school for in the schools that they take pay, pay taxes to send them in. Uh, so I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Tennessee has fared it better. Uh, I think, yeah, I do. How about live music? Are bars open? Or are you seeing shows? Or is Clarksville having anything or anything at all? So I, unfortunately, I don't go to the bar too much, but I can tell you that, um, you know, again, early on, not so much, but I think things are pretty much running as usual. I have to ask around and get back to you because I haven't tried, but I mean, we've been going to restaurants and, you know, I, I'm telling you, we basically just do whatever we want. (laughs) Good. Good. That's kind of how it is here too. It's some of the restaurants are, uh, you know, won't let you go in like some of the fast food restaurants you can't go into. Um, a couple of them you can go into, but you can't sit down. You got to get everything to go. We we had a, a new Chick-fil-A in town last June or July. Nobody's ever set foot in it because it's been drive through only for the whole time. Uh, 
but wow. it, it's been pretty pretty laid back here. I know our, our sheriff initially said when the governor, you know, put the the lockdowns on early last year, he said we don't have the willpower or the manpower to enforce this. Well, of course they did because I know the sheriff himself told me he issued they issued at least one citation because a bar had 13 people in it instead of 10 people in it. I think they were supposed to be closed down completely, but it's like so that tells me that you know you do have the manpower and the willpower as long as uh you know you think that the the citizens aren't going to stand up against you and I, I i don't think sadly i don't think people will i don't think i don't think i would have thought by now that people would have risen up and said this is crazy you can't you know like in california or new york where things are locked down i would have thought that people would have said this is crazy it's a year let us go but it's just kind of sad that it hasn't happened fear is a powerful motivator and that is why it is the strongest political tool Definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt. And I guess that's kind of like my point with, uh, with, a, with like public events and growing, growing crowds, bringing more – because, I mean, I think, I think one thing that's painstakingly clear, as, and this is just me as a new libertarian, you know, in this last, uh, this last election that we're not going to expand off of a 1.3 margin, 1.4 margin – nationally in you know district meetings or regional meetings and that's not to say efforts within the party aren't good like i think it's great that how how much y'all the party works within tennessee but we've got to transfer that energy to the people that don't know that that are just still like wrapped up in this just this craziness that the media media puts us in this matrix like i'll give you an example i was talking to somebody today there's a girl i i, I think a lot of this girl she's funny and uh, she was so confused by like the, the the media's narrative about the the Boulder shooter that she thought that he was a white Christian, which the, his his race and re religion or creed doesn't matter because violence is violence regardless of who's perpetrating it. But the fact is is that there's the news media that she watches and MSNBC and CNN directly misinformed her to think that it was a domestic terrorist. And he was probably even at the this Capitol storming, which we're all, we're all obviously know about the, the situation. You know, he's a Syrian. His family was immigrated here and he was anti-Trump, anti but it doesn't matter. That's like, that's a moot point. Violence knows. I mean, there's people, violent people all across the board. Uh, but I just found it interesting that, like I had to sit her down and show her, like, no, this is not his name's not Billy Bob, and he's not from Georgia. Okay, this is like, this his name is Ahmed, and you know, and explain to her that you know you're being lied to, you know, you're constantly being lied to, misinformed, if you whatever you want to call it. And I think I, I truly feel like on a local level, because I, I part, partly I'm kind of apathetic on a national level at this point. Uh, uh, but on a local level, we can expand those numbers through a couple of different ways. I mean, obviously what we're doing here and what the party and you guys in Whiskey Region and Appalachia Region and Oxford Region, everybody working together, getting these events together, obviously that. But then executing those events and, uh, and then educating people, too. I think for all Tennessee, I mean, I, I mentioned those guys again. I just wish the average citizen would just know to, like, look into it. Just, like, look what's going on here. Like, it's okay to be angry about what biden said like okay we can have our be angry about that but let's talk about tennessee and how we're gonna make tennessee better too 
And I think it's hard to do that over the internet in a lot of ways. It's hard to get that sincere response. And I think uh, people events, I know we're going to try to plan something for the end of summer here in, here in, I, I hope, and Anderson, I, I, I talked to two different chairs about it and I got a couple different two, two responses uh, about it, but I don't know if y'all are familiar with the Cold Creek Wars. I mentioned a couple of times on the show, but that was a, uh, that was an outfit in, in, in East Tennessee that rose up against the state uh, because they brought in convict leased companies, convict leasing uh, and took everybody's jobs. And uh, this was kind of the hairy part where I got in with, with one of the libertarians and he kind of, we were talking and he said that, well, unions fighting back again for their jobs isn't as much as important as to the effect something like isn't doesn't have the same effect as troops coming home and taking their city back. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is state state sanctioned slavery, right? Like that's what the 13th Amendment is, right? In my in my eyes. Is it that's mm-hmm. that's that amendment, right? Thirteen have you seen have you seen that? How the they're trying to take that out? of the state constitution and the legislators are refusing to take that out. Yeah, uh-huh. no, tell me more about that. I read it, but I didn't get to finish it. Yeah, I did see I, that. Yeah, that's all there is. They're just trying to take out. There's one exception that slavery is allowed um, as a punishment. Um, we actually have a workhouse here in Tennessee or uh, here in Clarksville, Tennessee. Ah. Um, but yeah, that's the idea. Someone put it up to take that out. And there were like four legislators Um that refused to vote for it. And when they wrote them and asked them why, they said, this gives everybody the impression that Tennessee didn't abolish slavery in 18, I can't remember what the date was now. And I'm like, or we have some kind of stock in the prison system. I don't know, but I'm gonna go look now, you know? (laughs) Well, most county jails make money off of their inmates going and working the jobs that nobody else wants to work at the dump or cleaning the roads or the recycling center. Um, because I would have to do those physicals. I, w- I was a jail nurse for a while. And those guys, I mean, yeah, you treat it like workman's comp. It's crazy. But the amount of money that uh, the county will save putting those people to work, the inmates to work rather than everyone else, it's insane. Yeah. Really? When, I, when I lived in Missouri, the, I worked for a state agency for, for part of the time and the, the prison, the state prison had a, a dry cleaning facility. And if you worked for the States, you could take your dry cleaning to the prison facility and they would dry clean it at a cheaper rate than you could get it done at the local businesses, which, you know, I didn't think too much about it back then because I wasn't too terribly political at the time, but now I'm thinking that's kind of not kind of, it's, it's definitely harmful to the local economy and, you know, people trying to make a living. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know if they still do it or not, but I'm sorry. Oh, that's, that's all right. No, I, I just, I don't know if they still have it or not. They still had it when I left in 2005, I think. So I would imagine it's still there because I'm sure it's making the state some money and they're going to take the money any way they can wild. get it. You know, in a, in a County context too, and saving money and all that, uh, you know, that's, there's something to be said for that, but I know, you know, specifically, with the Cold Creek Wars, you know, that those series of battles, there's a series of battles that happened. It forced the state to abolish uh, convict leasing to like massive companies that would just, uh, it was like so terrible. Like, I think it was 
a total of three times that they overran the, the, the National Guard and took the convicts and sent them to Nashville or sent them to Knoxville back. And it, and it, it, it essentially abolished, forced the state to abolish. I think the governor, Buchanan, at the time, he, he lost his bid for re-election because of all of it. Uh, so, yeah, that's something that we're going to try to do up here and kind of celebrate that. Uh, hopefully we can get some people there, I think. I think. We'll try to try to find places. I, I think that the battle and you guys could probably tell me a little bit more about this. The battle of trying to plan events is like trying to find areas that will let you come in and like maybe have music live. Because I know musicians, you know, I know plenty of guys that would love the chance to be able to, to play to play live. You know, it's just maybe trying to find the venue is kind of the hard I think part. Outdoors now, I think outdoors now should be all right now that the weather's starting to warm up and stuff. And we should definitely start trying to do that. One of the things I wanted to say earlier when uh, AJ brought up events and you brought up events is that um, to be fair, the party has never been good at putting on events. We've, we've never done that. It's like you go to your meeting once a month and you go to the convention once a year and that is what it is. So if being locked away for a year during COVID, if the only good that comes out of it is that the Libertarian Party finally gets mad enough to start putting on events, I'm here for it. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm with that. I'm all about that. I'd like to have a big paintball game. Maybe we should hold a big paintball event. That would be great. I bet that'd be a money a money raiser too. You know, I bet you could be like maybe for like uh, some other people running for city council or whatever. You know, I don't care where it goes. All it goes to the party. Uh, but yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, a paintball event. I have to maybe look into that. Find some property. Hey, you know what else? To be fair, the um, the coal the coal mine wars. And then the um, the veterans at the ballot boxes that is given equal attention in Tennessee 101 history. <laughs> is it really? I never. Nice. I mean, I must have been a terrible high school student. I mean, because I never ever picked up anything. I was a terrible student. So well, it was a college class, and I just took it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I took PA history back then. <laughs> That's cool. So you you are from Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, right around Pittsburgh, north a little north of Pittsburgh. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, Pittsburgh is a cool. I have, I got some friends up there, Zambelli, Zambelli. Uh, there, dude, it's wild. Those guys are just crazy. I, quick story <laughs> about him. He invited me and the wife one time to come up for a a Steelers and and, and Titans game, and we came up and. Uh, we won. We won, actually. We won that game. I was really happy. Uh, but um, the night before, he was like, yeah, we're just going to go around and we got a driver. We're going to drink all over the city and have a good time. I was like, okay. And he rented a whole bus, a whole bus, and had like a whole crew with him. I was like, oh, my gosh, you are, you are on a whole nother level than I'm a country bumpkin. You know what I mean? I'm go to bed by 10 o'clock, you know, at the latest and. Uh, so that was a good time. Good, good people, and uh, I like the Lancaster area too. I got a good buddy that lives up in Lancaster. Uh, cool peeps up that way. Up there with the honor. Philly. Never been to Philly. That's the bad part of the state. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of rivalry. A little bit. Fair but, enough. You know, 
I was extremely excited when um, the Pens and the Preds played. Early on in that season, I was like, it's going to be the Pens and the Preds. And my brother's like, you're so stupid. The Preds are never going to make it to Stanley Cup. And I was like, it's going to be the Pens and the Preds. And then when we got there, I didn't know who to cheer for. (laughs) And, you know, we're serious about hockey in Pittsburgh. We burn our couches in the streets. Yeah, all sorts of debauchery goes on over over hockey north of the Mason Dixon line. You don't um, have you don't have porch couches here. Yeah, I have. Okay. Yeah, sometimes. Well, when we go to the playoffs or when we win the playoffs, we take the porch couch into the street and light the mother on fire. Don't add. I don't know why Pittsburgh does that. <laughs> no, it's fair. I allow it. I like it. I, we like that. Yeah, I used to live in a town where you they they had an ordinance against couches on your porch, so that wouldn't have uh, gone over well there. It was back in Missouri that no couches on the porches, and it would have kind of ruined the uh, the hockey celebrations. <laughs> Our couches go inside, boy. <laughs> <laughs> they did. The city went around taking pe- people's couches off their porches for uh, like the week beforehand. It was weird. Just, it was just really weird. Sorry, I'm totally off subject. No, it's great. I mean, we can just keep going with this. You know, in, in Nashville, apparently they just drink beer out of catfishes. So, I mean, and that's, a, that's our ice. ritual, right? Out of a catfish? Yeah, I think it was Lawan, uh, that mean offensive tackle we got uh, for the Titans. He was at a Preds game. And, uh, yeah, he drank the shotgun, the beer through a, through a catfish. It's pretty that's wild. freaking disgusting. <laughs> I was impressed. I mean, it's got to be great for the immune system, you know. I'm sure raw fish, <laughs> guts, or something. I'm I'm not sure what would come through. AJ just puked a little in her mouth. <laughs> little bit, little bit. I'm not gonna lie. It's out there. It's worth watching. It's worth watching. Okay, it's you're not convincing movie. me to watch sports. It now involves people drinking beer through catfish. You're not convincing me. Try harder. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. This past year has been—I've watched the least amount of sports in my whole entire life. Like you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, you know how COVID's been for your family, Trish. I'll tell you, it, I, I kind of had a similar experience with my family in that we, we, we went camping more, we went fishing more. We, I mean, we stayed outside this past year. Like, I mean, kind of pushed it over in winter too. A little slow down in winter. But we've still been out, been out in the woods, and I've literally, I think, I've maybe watched halfway watched three UT games this year. And I usually but, was a guy that watched them every game, you know. But so. did you watch Tiger King? No. What? I thought everybody no. watched Tiger King. I thought I thought everybody did. I it. didn't like it. I missed that one too. Harley, that's but there was we, a little Marion on it. <laughs> Four and a half minutes of it, and I couldn't do it anymore. And I was like, I don't get this. And he's like, I don't get this either. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, we watch Ozarks. That was one that we watched. Ozarks is one of our favorites. I started that one. I like that one. Uh, I, I watch a bunch of like we we have different we have different tastes. I watch like documentaries and and history stuff. I'm like I'm boring. You know, we're, we're going to watch a war movie, but I'm, I'm terrible with it. So, we're in fist uh, also boring. <laughs> I'm a history major, so. 
So how do, how do libertarians, since they don't like war, like war movies? It's interesting. That's an interesting. I, I, I mean, think, always uh, have. I don't know. I think I think that's a human thing. I think Is that's. It? I don't even think that's uniquely libertarian. I think that. I think that's like goes along with gambling and and like sex sales, whatever. You know, I think that's just a human trait. You know, violence gotcha. is part of that, unfortunately. So I don't usually watch those series. Like bad hot take. Bad hot take. No, no, it's no, it's like the Ozark. I can't get into them. I get about three episodes into something like that, and then I just get frustrated with them for some reason. Reminds me too much of like Days of Our Lives or something that I never. That, that, <laughs> that my sister. I had a roommate in college. He grew up with three sisters, so he was always watching soap operas because that's what he had to watch. And uh, I just is like I can't take this. And that's I guess I guess they eventually remind me of that, so I can only take about three episodes of something. Hmm. I made it on The Walking Dead through two seasons, though. Then I, then I couldn't two do it anymore. Seasons, like twenty nine. Like what? Yeah, I, I failed. It's okay. No judgment. I dropped off. I think. I think I dropped off when Carl died, and then again when Rick died. Because, like, okay, whatever. Like, anymore. What What else is going to happen? You know. I didn't. I didn't know either of them were dead. So Carl's <laughs> the little boy, right? <laughs> Carl's the little boy, yeah. See, I, I usually I, I worry about the animals and the kids in a movie, but for some reason that kid annoyed me, and I kept hoping that the zombies <laughs> would get him. <laughs> I know that's terrible as a, as a parent. Well, his mom was the worst. But... <laughs> I I rooted for a child's death. Wow, dude. Wow. Yeah, that's. <laughs> He's wow. a fake kid. He's a fake kid. He's not real. It's not real. For the, like, for like the, the record, the comics were better. The comics were better. Maybe that's how I need to <laughs> take it in with the comics. The comics were, they were, they were better. I never watched The Walking Dead. I, the only time I ever watched The Walking Dead was that specific scene where Negan crushes that dude's head with a bat just to watch that, that scene. I never I, watched I, I that. I watched it before that. It's like, yeah. I, oh, so wow. I just watched that scene. I, I had to, like, I don't know. I like gore movies. I like, I like you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I like scary movies, stuff like that. I thought the Sinister, Sinister was good, but, uh, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, we can have we need to have big old projectors and just have big movies like all the movie theaters are gone. How about that? How about I love that. Our provide big movie watchings. We don't. We they shut down our our movie theater here in Lafayette. Yep. So uh, let's do that. Let's get a, let's invest in some uh, projector screens for the regions and host big old like hey, what are you gonna do? Run me off of this parking lot? Cool story, bro. You know, go somewhere else. They actually shut down the uh, drive-in up here. That's stupid. That is the epitome of stupid. <laughs> it is. They shut it down. That's a good What movie would you host? What would y'all show? at a, if, we, we, if you had a said movie event set up, you had a pretty good little crowd drawn in and Maybe the whiskey region, whatever, whichever county, you know. What what movie would you would you host or play? I don't know. Two, I really top don't. two, top two, top two. I didn't actually get to see Braveheart in the theater. I've only seen it on a small screen. Yeah. So that probably would be Braveheart. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like everything that happened with Mel Gibson afterwards, whatever. It's still Braveheart forever. Very. Hey, you know I dig that. That's awesome. Let's. Uh, I can dig some Mel Gibson movies. 
See, that was that was going to be one of my choices. Was another Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot. Oh, uh, if, the Patriot's if, good if, too. if we're going to break out of a, out of a lockdown and have a movie, we need to have somebody toppling a government. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a war movie, definitely. Uh, you know, war, nothing like a good war movie to get people going. Maybe V for Vendetta. You know, that would work too. Yeah. Oh, that's a long one. I don't know if people yeah. sit through that one. I love it though. I do like it. I dig it. V, v, v for Vendetta would be a good one. Maybe uh, uh, the Monopoly of Violence. That, that'd be a good one. I have not got to finish that yet. I got interrupted and then never got to finish it. It's pretty good. It's I, I enjoyed it. it. It does go pretty in depth about like the levels of anarchy or different different types of anarchy. So I mean, that was quite a bit to digest. But but overall, it hit hit home pretty good. Like the hit the point. Of what they were talking about and i think it i think what it does too i think it helps people understand in terms of like what what's behind the veil what's behind stage one and stage two when you go backstage uh i don't know i i'll probably go with uh ghostbusters if i had to pick a movie i was just joking about the monopoly on violence but i'll go with ghostbusters part one always part one always. yeah I don't think I that ever watched I anything but that one. <laughs> Trish, what's your, what's your movie? What would you host? Did you, I, you have I'm, event? I'm Provided by Councilwoman Trish. I'm sitting over here going, what would I? I don't even it's a tough one. know. Can you give me two? Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints. Yeah. Yeah. She wins. Yeah. I have a, I have a Boondock Saints t-shirt for, like I've had for Forever since the movie came out, however long we, ago that was. We can just do Schoolhouse Rocks. Schoolhouse Rocks. <laughs> yeah, that's, as a homeschooler, Dad, I break that every now and then. We, we come across, you don't know what a conjunction is? We can fix that. Oh, not again. <laughs> and I force them to watch the whole thing. You're going to remember today. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm going to have to confess that I've never, I've never seen Boondock Saints, so... Yeah, no. I have to fix it. I don't know. You might not be a fan, Ham. It's pretty violent. We got vulgar language. Uh, it's awesome. Oh, lots of f words. <laughs> lots and lots of f words. I let him go in one ear and out the other. I tried to stop cussing when my son was born. I did pretty well for a while, but every now and then it's like, <laughs> and I have you to do pretty like, good, man. Like shake, shake like Beavis used to when he got all like cornholioed up. <laughs> Yeah, I get like that every now and then. <laughs> I don't really censor myself in front of my kids anymore because they're teenagers. Like they, they need this is who I actually am. Um, Let them see it. When they were younger, it was more of a like we can't repeat this at school and stuff. So, <laughs> but now that they've become teenagers, like that's what they they're not snitches now. So <laughs> they, they, they've gotten to know me. I'll tell you what, when you like, you, you mentioned teenagers, you know, it's, it's wild. Uh, I remember when everybody, when that happened with, uh, who was the country star that dropped the in bomb in that, like in his parking lot or his park or his, in his driveway, somebody was recording him from the side, from the, uh, from the, the other. Dude the dude that didn't even exist until he cussed and somebody caught it on camera. Yeah. Yeah. What was <laughs> that dude's name? I'd never yeah, heard of him. Yeah. I don't know. Morgan Wallen was his name. Morgan Wallen was his name. 
Well, it's like that guy. Like people were like outraged by what he was saying, and like me teaching young young people. You know what I mean? I hear him use that word all the time, like Hispanics, African Americans, white guys. You know, mixed, whatever. They all. It's like this new culture is just created, and was just like this is cool. This is what how the cool people talk, and they all talk like that. Now, what is it language I would use? No, but it is it is pretty wild. Uh, you know, kind of like hearing them be like, hey, dude, you just can't say that. You know, at least don't talk like that around me. I don't want to hear it. You know, uh, that's pretty cringe when you say that, pal. Don't say that. All right. And uh, I definitely like sound like the, the weird dad or the old dad. But I, it just it's kind of surreal, like just them throwing that word around. And and then it's just how young people are now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how young that dude is. Not saying it's right or wrong, but they're definitely. I don't know, I think like today's society is desensitized to that stuff. I don't know. I, Just I, I think it, it's partially because like the things change and they redeem some of it. I literally just had this talk with the council person that sits next to me. Um, she's queer, and I was talking about her on one of my lives one night, and I was like you know, and Ashley's LGBTQ, and she's in the comments, queer, I'm queer. And I'm going, that's a bad word, because that was akin to faggot when I was in school. And now it's okay to say queer. And I told her, I said, I didn't know that was okay to say until you told me. So I think it's just that, you know, things, words are given meaning, they don't inherently have meaning. So as it goes on through time, you know, linguistics changes i'm just old and i don't always know that it's changed yet <laughs> i definitely have that problem <laughs> things you could say when i was a kid that you know you'd get you know run out of town for it now that's just and vice versa yeah it's really wild society changes and that's why it's so important um that we don't start doing to that to our symbols like uh, i don't know if you guys remember when the betsy ross flag came under fire and it's like, oh, well, the Betsy Ross flag, that's racist because slavery was legal when it was made. And it's like, whoa, we can't go doing that. You can't change our symbols like that. Like, it's a, it's, that's a very dangerous, slippery slope. Um, and I just think that, you know, we need to be really careful with, uh, with what we're allowing society to dictate with that kind of stuff. Yeah, because what... Yeah, you lose a lot of a lot of your history, and not that the because history. If you're studying history and it doesn't make you mad, you're studying it wrong, or you're being lied to. And you, but you have to learn to accept that you know this country did some things that it shouldn't have done, but that doesn't mean we have to burn the whole thing down. Let's just learn from that mistake and go forward. It's like I don't, you know, like I've made mistakes in my life. That doesn't mean I want to go back and like I don't have a brain scan that wipes out everything I did before today. Because you lose the lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Zebel loved this one. Um, when when people started attacking the Constitution, they're like, "Oh, well, the Constitution was written by a bunch of white men." Well, I'm a woman, and I'm aware that there was not a single woman in the room when they signed the document. Um, you know, but it's like even idiots have good ideas from time to time. So we can't just, I, I always, I tell people a lot, like I would get rid of the whole entire constitution with the exception of the bill of rights, 
And they're like, well, then you wouldn't have a right to vote. And I'm like, actually, I would because it's an inherent right. And just because the idiots that wrote it 200 years ago weren't there yet societally doesn't mean it's not still my right. Like, and this is this comes down to the whole argument that you have to have with people. The Constitution didn't give us our rights. It just protects them. Right. And there's a whole lot of people that don't understand that. I see it a lot, you know, and it might just be shorthand, you know, in social media arguments or when people talk. But I see a lot. Well, the Constitution gives me the right to and I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't give you anything. It outlines a system of government and delegates powers to that government. It doesn't give you anything. It takes stuff away from you, kind of. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is to people don't recognize that 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 freedom looks different regionally as well. And what do I mean by that is that people in California want to live differently inherently than people in Tennessee. And I want people in California to live the way they want to live. However, I don't want to live like California and vice versa. I don't want to impose my will on anybody else, you know, and I, I wish I, I don't know I'm not sure how extreme the messaging has to get or what has to what has to happen to push enough to say, hey, we're not going to keep playing this overstep of, you know, one size fits all and pretend it's working or if it's even sustainable or healthy at this point, especially when you look at how we're raising our kids. Like, for example, uh, you know, you look at the younger generation, people all the time uh, attack and say, well, this generation does this. This generation does that. What did they? Where did they learn all that? They learned it from us. They learned it from. They learned it from my generation. All and to like all the boomers watching, they learned it from you too. You know, and because uh, <laughs> I joke around with my boomer friends all the time that I work with, my colleagues, and I love them. They know I say that out of you know respect and and just funny. You know, it's all fun. It's funny games. You got to have somewhat of a. You got to keep some some type of you know comedic defense or or at least. Warm, you want to, you don't want to be uh, attacking as a libertarian because already as a libertarian everybody thinks we're we're kind of on the fringe. Like, oh, they don't know how to take you because you don't align with someone's party view right off the bat. So I always try to keep a, a hat, a warm-hearted with them. But you know, on a serious note, they didn't just wake up and was like this generation that was terrible or 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 whatever was inherently lazier than the last generation. No, they learned that stuff from us. Uh, it's kind of like the thing about immigration. You know, that's a, that's the one thing I hear about a lot. This is a hot take on me. And, you know, so if someone disagrees with it, please get in the comments and let me know and we can talk about it. But, you know, I'm not worried about immigrants sucking off of our system. I'm worried about Americans using the system and uh, corrupting our system. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the American welfare system, it's more times than not Americans, like homegrown, like living in different states that have the highest rate of use of the welfare system. And I'm not saying some people don't need it. I'm not saying that some people aren't getting better in their, their situation. Uh, but the whole theory that immigrants are the reason why our welfare system is, is broken or whatever, is just crazy. They're like, uh, we got to stop them from crack coming over because they're going to use up all our welfare. I mean, no, they're going to take the job that your son probably doesn't want. You know, it's going to uh, – I don't know. I know that's probably – I just went off on a lot. One of y'all could add on to that. I know I just threw a bunch on right there. My bad. I do that sometimes. 
Or we could just abolish welfare. That oh, would I just solve the problem, but we, we can't have that. We wouldn't have anything to argue over about it then. Ah, uh, damn it. Making sense again. That's yeah. fair. No, I mean, and that's, uh, I mean, and when you, when you talk about welfare in the, in the past, welfare what usually came through the, through the community, you know, right? Within the community. Charity. Community came together and saw a need and filled a need, you know, whether that was through a local church, local synagogue, local mosque, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever that community looks like. Because I don't look here and want to legislate. And there's, America isn't what one particular look, you know, that's, that's something else too, you know, that people have to understand that uh, America isn't standing at in the classroom, pledging allegiance to the flag. You know, that's not the idea of what the America is, you know, people get dumbfounded when I say that because I'm prior service as Trish is, but I mean, I just, that's not my view of America what it's supposed to be or Tennessee let me put it like that Tennessee in that matter so uh, no, 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 that's a radical message in there huh um, I wanted to, yeah <laughs> well okay I I was a welfare recipient I got divorced and I had two small children and there was a stimulus package passed that would put me through nursing school and I'm like I could be a nurse anywhere like that's a job forever Two small kids, they like to eat and have electricity and all that. So I had to go into school. Well, I couldn't figure out a way to balance work and school and kids and all of that. So I did apply for assistance. I was I was expected to do X amount of hours every week. Most of the time that got to count as my school, like my 40 hours in school a week that got to count towards my hours. If we were on a break, I went to the office and filed papers. I helped a, a woman learn how to speak English. She was supposed to help me learn to speak Spanish, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bad student when it comes to languages. So that didn't work. Um, but I mean, I actually was responsible for it. I filled out my paperwork. I did everything that was expected of me. There were lots of people in the same program as me that didn't make it because they wouldn't fill out their paperwork. They wouldn't show up on time. I'm sorry, we're adults. We, we are adults and we are responsible for ourselves. I appreciate the assistance. You were helping me feed my children. You were helping me guarantee a future for my children. Why isn't everybody else doing this? That makes no sense. Personal responsibility has to come back into trending that it has to be part of society, period. Because this whole, well, I can't do this because, you know, I, I really I really don't like sweeping the floor. How do you think the floors get clean? Somebody sweeps them. How do you think you go to school? You show up and you do the work. Um, I'm that way with my kids. Um, they have chores. They have school. These are your jobs. This is what you're in charge of. And they have to do it. I hold them accountable. If people don't, like, that's, that's why we're in such a mess right now, is it not? I mean, there's generations in a family that have grown up on welfare. That's just what you do. You turn 18, you get your own EBT card. No, <laughs> that's not what this is supposed to be, y'all. Wow, that's just, I got to tell you, I mean, if you could see my arms right now, you would see goosebumps because, I mean, what you just said is just so true. And I was, I was, ta I was having a discussion earlier today, and, you know, you mentioned the family and what they're learning and the fact that you have to get up and go to work. You have to go do this. When you, it's... It, it matters more for you to do something when you don't want to do it than when you do something you want to do. You know what I mean? Like that's when you really 
the uh, you really make or break it right and uh there is a lack of that in today's world you know you hear a lot of people will throw things around like public education's at fault or the government's at fault or they said no it's the family's at fault you know we were, i remember we were talking about this the other day and uh, somebody threw out there well they don't let them pray pray in school anymore someone said that i said look dog is you are you praying with your are you praying with your son at home I mean that that's 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 the important part. You know what I mean? That's like, are you are you praying with your family? Are you doing those things, or like, or are you making your son, you know, or your daughter uh, uh, value the the work work ethic to get up and do chores, like you're saying? Uh, you know, like I'm not worried about whether or not in school they have a, a timer to recognize they can pray, or whether or not this or that, you know, let's focus on the family. And, you know, a lot of people will say that public education or whatever is at fault for uh, a generation that's not working or not getting to work or doesn't have motivation to work or maybe I hear a lot of times uh, either creating uh, zombies or people that think one way. I, I truly think a lot of that's coming from the family. You know, maybe some of that's coming from public education, especially when you look at it from a, a top top end built education from the Department of Education, but the massive problems we're seeing societally, that's coming from the home, in my opinion. I don't know. Some of you might have a different opinion than I do. It's definitely it does, coming from the home. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It does also tie back into um, the welfare system we were just talking about, um, because, mind you, people are being. And this is changing some. What you said, uh, AJ, is kind of different than my experience. Um, my experience was in um, Pennsylvania, my brother was receiving food assistance. Um, he, While he was sitting at home doing nothing, they would give him food stamps. He started going to school 15 hours a week, and they cut off his food stamps. As soon as he started doing something to progress himself, they took that away. So, I mean, obviously we're trying to perpetuate a cycle and I do agree that it is in the home, that the personal responsibility, it's in the home, but the government and these subsidizations are rewarding people who don't get married. So you got single parent households and if you're not working, they're rewarding that. And, you know, I think that that really is to kind of continue paying off your voter base. I'm sorry, AJ, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I, I honestly, the public school system, my, my kids have been in it this whole time. This past year, they've been home. Um, I am a nurse and I, I don't trust the public school system to control lice, let alone a, a virus that we don't know anything about. Um, I'm, I'm reading the medical records of, of COVID survivors every day. I, like, we'll stay home until like they actually get a handle on it. Cool deal. Because my kids, they're self-sufficient. Like they feed themselves, they they get up, they do their schoolwork, they do their chores. Like for the most part, we're we're groovy. But when they were in school, um, they didn't discuss ideas as often as they discussed what was going to be on the next test because they have been taught how to take tests. They're both brilliant at Jeopardy, not because they know lots of things, but because the school has taught them context clues. They can they can figure out trivia quick because they've been taught how to answer questions. Yeah, I, I just I have a couple of people I know work in the school system, and one of them just told me that they have to spend the next twenty days 
of their school year teaching the kids how to pass a test. Not teaching anything useful, but teach, I guess teaching how to pass a test is useful so you could pass the ATC, so you could pass a test in college, so you could get the degree you want. I mean, that kind of useful, but not things you will actually use in the real world. And that's what's the next four weeks of school is going to be. No, and that's that, and honestly, that's the side of education, public education, like I really don't know anything about because I'm on the other side of it in CTE, which is career and technical education, which is like I, I personally teach welding. Uh, and then, you know, you have electric, electricians, uh, cosmetology, early childhood development, stuff like that fits into CTE. Uh, that's kind of like my biggest my biggest argument with public public education. What I would say is, first of all, I would think there doesn't need to be a federal department of education, in my opinion. Uh, and I, and I, I'm sure I, I have some colleagues that might watch this show and I've, I've had people made, had comments that maybe, Hey, Zeb, you should probably cool it out on your libertarian message on your show, you know, working with the state, but this is just my, my belief. So I don't, whether I get canceled in the future or not, I guess is, is, is a moot point because I don't care, but I do think that on a state level, just because something hasn't worked and we have investment in it doesn't mean it's not worth fixing. And the reason why I say that is because when you look in relation to the family, if we take an option away from, uh, if we take a public option away from families that maybe don't have the same support system like Trish and AJ have, because y'all are obviously fantastic parents and teaching you, your, your, your children about you know, ideas, stuff like that. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm sure that y'all are having really good conversations and you're learning things. Him and I know you're teaching, you know, y'all are, are actually teaching your kids stuff. But uh, a lot of students, they're, the only positive reinforcement they get at, home, at all throughout the day is some of their, their teachers, instructors. Uh, and I think that there is something to be said that, you know, in a personal uh, a personal example is that when I was in high school, CTE was we had one shop class and you had a mill and a lathe, a welder that worked half the time and something and, and maybe one other machine. That's all you had. Tennessee is really, really actually invested money in CT education. So, I mean, you're seeing, seeing schools realize we got to outfit with, with welders. Like we got to give these people hard skills to go to the workforce, whether it's on post-secondary education or the workforce. So you do see a shift. You do see a shift to actual applicable skills that are real time in the world. Uh, but you do have that barrier of test taking and all this and getting ready for college education. And I really think if you take away the federal element of mandation from that and the guidelines and the money that's held over schools heads, like you have to do this, this, this to get this money. Uh, I think if that incentive is knocked out and Tennessee was really able to focus what they think they should they, were, they should be allowed to educate on, I think you'd have a better uh, a better uh, finished product with education. But again, no matter how much you invest in the, to education, if you're not getting soft skills at the at the family level at a young age and all of that, it's going to be very hard for a guy like me or whoever to come in and do anything with any student that doesn't know how to cope because they've, they, they've had bad examples at home, you know, or they don't have a home, whichever way. So it's kind of a, you're chasing the tail and 
as Liberty, I guess we just we got to keep fighting the good fight, you know. And it's it's gray. It's a very gray area, you know. You know. It Thomas really Massey, uh, every year he uh, or every congressional session he introduces a bill, and the entire bill says the Department of Education will cease to exist on December thirty first of whatever year it is. That's the entire bill, and it never gets anywhere. He's got. I think Tim Burchett from Knoxville is actually co-sponsoring it this year. So maybe one of these years it'll get somewhere. And and getting rid of that, like you say, doesn't mean that public education goes away. It just means that the money we send to DC doesn't get, you know, a lot of DC. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it, and it doesn't have their portion taken off to pay for the bureaucrats in DC, and then some of it sent back to us. It gets our money would stay here and educate our kids. And maybe Tennessee needs a lot more welders and fewer business majors. You know, it, it, let us educate our kids with what our state needs, not what the senators in California think our state needs. And Massey's an MIT graduate, so you can't pretend like he's stupid for that either. <laughs> no. I love that. <laughs> he's far um, from stupid. Before I jumped on here with you guys, I was on Clubhouse and uh, Jess Mears was doing a room about um, actually individualized education and how that that's the future or whatnot. Um, I don't. Does anybody here have an iPhone? No. Yes. Android. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're Android, I, I love you, but I'm sorry. Clubhouse is right now only for um, iPhone, but have you guys heard about it? It's like the new thing. Jess Mears found out about it, and she's trying to take it over with libertarians. Um, it's like a podcast had a baby with a 90s chat room. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about how individualized uh, education is the future, and we've learned that from COVID. Do you think so? Explain, elaborate, elaborate how COVID has proved that. Well, that COVID has given us so the kid doesn't have to go in there and sit in there every single day. Like I have one kid that stays home every day. And what was really cool is that we learned she was doing crap in school, like absolute crap. And since she's been home, her, she's got straight A's. Like, I'm, like you can't make this up. And she's still doing the school's curriculum um, on a computer. She hates it, but that's because she's a libertarian. Um, unfortunately, she learned it young, so now I have to deal with that. Um, <laughs> and then I also learned that another one of my kids does better at school. So um, I think that what they were talking about, let's see, I'm, let me try to think. They were talking about um, basically that the government should give us our dang on tax money back and let us decide how we're going to school our kids. Like Zeb, you homeschool? No, no. We uh, I, I I actually I'm in favor of public education. Well, I, I'm in favor of sending my student my my, my kids to, to to school because I I think the social aspect of getting out there and being around people that's not your parents or or your grandma. Because I mean, he my son's like Putin with all the women in my family. Like he just he just. He tells him what he wants. So, like, I really appreciate when he gets away from me. He has to, like, get with somebody where, like, somebody challenges him. And, like, he's like, oh, well, I got to figure this out. So, so no, yeah, I uh, we'll see, but I have a lot of friends at homeschool. And uh, I, I agree with you on the fact about uh, there should be a choice. I believe in a uh, – what's it called? A, a, a uh, voucher or whatever? Voucher system, yes, voucher system. Yeah, I, I do think that, that's the right thing to do. The question is, so my, I'm city level, of course, my county, I think it's like um, 
40%, 60% of our county budget goes to the school system. Um, and it's like, uh, what if I want to homeschool, you know, or what about the people next door that don't have kids that go to the schools, you know, and, and that's just one of those things that it's like, why is so much of taxpayers money going to schools that, that, that you know, they don't even use. And I know the argument is, well, because you want to have an educated populace because that's good for everybody. I get that. But I just think that um, I, I, I would have to agree with the fact that giving the parents the choice, which I've got a taste of this year with the, you know, doing the computer-based learning and all that. I think giving the parents the choice is the best option. And what's funny is I've been saying, because we're a military community here, all right, so dad's getting ready to deploy. He gets his two weeks, his 30 days off beforehand. But you guys can't go anywhere. You got to stay here because the kids are in school. And I'm like, why don't, and we have, our schools are 110% capacity, every single school across the whole city. And I'm saying for two years straight, why can't we do a cyber charter school? Why can't we do a cyber charter school? And nobody wanted to hear that. And then COVID hit. What'd they do? Instant instituted cyber charter school and now it's going to be an ongoing thing and i think that that's good i think that we need to just find ways to think outside of the box you know what i mean there definitely needs to be more options i think anytime you you introduce a plethora of more options to a, to any type of market whether that's education or pipe or whatever you know plum whatever type of market you have different options it, it drives up obviously competition. You have a better product. Uh, I think there's a lot of efficiency issues. Uh, yeah, I, you know it's it's a hard that's a hard thing to, to tackle all the all the way across because uh, you do have the experience and like I mean you can look at Knoxville. Knoxville's got a you know we've got a we've got a little bit of a violence problem right now. You know uh, I know we're working with the Mises Institute and caucus right now trying to get Maj Tory to get down our way to talk about conflict resolution. But I think the up, the uptick of violence and, you know, the rise of gangs in Knoxville is a, has direct correlation with shutdowns. And, you know, some of these young people that are heavily affiliated with these gangs now, because from what I understand, the guys that I'm talking to within the Knoxville community is that these, these are just young people kind of creating their own gangs now and just living this, this reality that they've created in their heads in the past two years. And uh, I think that, I think, I think you'll, I think that's, there's a correlation to that and that violence and the shutdowns. And, you know, instead of coming home to, to mama nurse AJ, that's going to te teach them to think for themselves, you know, uh, they, they're going on the corner, you know, or, or wherever they got to do to make money or what they got to do. Uh, Cause it is a, unfortunately, the American criminal system federally and on the state has created a, uh, a system where we're perpetually like eating our family and our homes, you know? And I think that's kind of like what you're seeing a uh, end result of that in the family, the American family uh, kind of being decimated. And in a lot of ways, a followers generation, you know, I'm one of the, I'm part of that followers generation. I mean, I, I, I kind of connected with my dad later in life, but you know, he wasn't there when I was, I was being raised, you know, and we got a lot of people not even have their, their father around. Uh, not to say that the traditional family or the, the family has to have a mom and a dad. 
but I definitely think there's something to say when you see an uptick in, in single parent families and fathers kind of not not having a prevailing role. And that's that falls a lot on on men in America. You see that uh, you see that have the adverse effect on the family across the board. And I I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's that's a tough one. Where'd you go, Trish? <laughs> so this is kind of funny. I'm, when I tell you guys I'm such a boomer, I'm actually, I'm a cusper, so I'm like Gen X, right? Right on the end of it. <laughs> I double tapped my ear because I'm wearing AirPods and it hung up. I didn't even know it does that. Now you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. It's an Air Force technology. These are really beautiful. Excuse me. That's a really beautiful one. I'm a mess. I'm sorry. All right. That's all right. You just you just blanked out. We thought maybe the aliens had gotten you. <laughs> now, Trisha, you were right though. We need options. One of the I'm always like, you know, vouchers, you know, let people pick where they what they want to, you know, where they want to send their kids, you know, the private school, public school. And every time I bring that up, my liberal friends chime in like you're just trying to destroy the public school system. Well, if the public school system is actually good, then that's what the parents will pick and they'll keep getting all the money they've gotten. And if it's not, then some of that money is going to go away. And then the public school, the local one that existed is going to have to make some changes so that they can attract the dollars back to keep going. And then otherwise the only, the only solution I ever hear out of my liberal friends is we need more money. Now, that can't be the only solution. I mean, we've, we've thrown more money at it for decades and it's not happening. And one of them asked me and said, you know, you homeschool, you going to take that voucher? And I'm like, no, because I know if I take the voucher, then I'm going to have the government more involved in my education than they already are. So I'll pass on it, but it'll at least give, you know, my neighbor a chance to send his kid to a charter school or a private school or, you know, and, and they say, oh, you just want to send the money to the religious schools. No, I want parents to pick if they want to send their kid to a mosque. Have at it. That's yeah. Why, why would school. it matter? It doesn't matter. Let them educate their kids in the best way that fits their kids. Because, you know, as, as Trisha said, you know, you found out one of your kids does great at home and one of them does better at school. So find an, an online education, which they've got those. They have the Ron Paul curriculum. I know there's a K12.com or something that, that kids can do. There, there are choices that you could send the one to that and send the other one someplace else. Let, let you pick, not the secretary of education in DC making those choices for you. That's, that's, that's the part that just totally drives me crazy. I think also, mm -hmm. look, what do you got? No, tell me what you got, AJ. I want to hear you probably have some way. Okay. Than what I was gonna say. Well, no, not necessarily. Did, did you notice the teachers um, when Betsy Davos was no longer secretary of education, the teachers celebrated like that'll tell you what they think of the federal government running the education system. They don't agree with it. My kids have had awesome teachers. We we were in a very small town called Morrison. They had very small classes, very involved teachers. It threw me off, you know, the first time you walk in and they're like, well, hello, Mrs. Campbell. I assume that my kids are in trouble because you know who I am. No, it's just, it's that kind of environment. Um, the high schools I set up different because it's the entire county. But seeing the teachers celebrate that that woman was no longer in charge was was a beautiful thing. You know, I, I, I hate 
the federal government being involved in anything because they don't know Morrison, Tennessee. They don't know the Campbell household. You know, they shouldn't get to decide anything about my children. Period. Yeah, you know, you're, you're 100% right. And it's funny you mentioned good teachers. I, I, to your point, Hammond, and yours as well, AJ, uh, I think we were talking about this the other day. Uh, I think in a situation where you had m more options and you had uh, encouragement to do so and have a freer market in it, I think teachers would benefit from it. I really do. Uh, I think you can, it's kind of like the same correlation between like the VA healthcare system. Like, you know, when you look at the VA, the only reason why the VA is even able to operate and do anything uh, to any capacity is because of the great nurses and their, uh, the doctors that fill uh, that are working double time to, to, to fix, rectify mishaps at a management level. Uh, and they're overstretched. So, I mean, again, if you were to privatize the VA, um, I think those nurses and those doctors that are filling billets within the VA actually land in a better spot uh, and they're able, they're enabled better to serve their communities and veterans through a more localized care. Uh, and I think that's, I think you can roundabout take that argument to education as well uh, to fit, fit specific needs, whether it's within CTE or academic uh, education. I try to hit some people with that one with uh, let's run the welfare system the way we run public education. You get your money, but you can only spend it at the closest grocery store to you. You don't get to drive across town, the one that has the better fruits and veggies or the one that has, you know, the, the same the same quality, but is cheaper. You you can only spend your welfare money at the closest grocery store to you. They and, talked about that on Clubhouse. Um, apparently, there's a place in Colorado that as long as you can get your kid to the school and it's a public school, you can take your kid to whatever school you want to take them to. Um, so I, that is something that they're implementing around the country. Uh, it'd be interesting to look into how they went about. That would be interesting that, you know, if you could have the choice and then it, even if it, you're for, you know, I, I want more choice than just public schools, but at least if you've got, the choice of all the public schools, then the ones that are being run poorly are going to have to make some changes. Otherwise they're going to run out of pupils or students. And if they run out of the students, then they get that, that they get dollars based on how many uh, butts they got in the seats. So they're going to lose out on that funding and they're, they're going to have to improve or just go out of business. And you know, something else that that's, that is funny to me about that is I don't, I don't know how everyone's stuff is set up, but here in town, we have different um, high schools and, you know, around town. And I don't care what anybody tells me. The rich kid high school gets better funding than the poor kid high school. It Like it, stuff, projects and, and different things do not get evenly distributed. But if you have you know, people going to the, all of them around. I mean, even maybe we could, you know, snip that. It's not in the bud because it's way overgrown. But, you know, maybe we that could even affect that. You know, I don't know. That would, that would look weird. I mean, I think I think one of the, the biggest challenge that, you know, teachers probably across the board face is probably large, large class sizes. But with that being said, I mean, if, I guess if you gave them the option to get everybody to go to the rich school 
everybody went there, maybe that's it would only be that school. I don't know how that looks, but regardless, I mean, more option is 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 good. I you know I think uh, I tell you what's interesting when I talk to people that's been teaching for years, whether it's whether it's like CTE or academically, they tell me nine times out of ten, uh, private education doesn't pay as well as public education. Uh, as it, at least on the CTE level, academically, I, I would imagine a teacher at Webb, which is the most prestigious high school in Knoxville, probably makes a lot more than an academic teacher, whatever high school, Fulton High School. But on the CTE side, they, they say a lot of these private institutions, for some reason, aren't able to to match up with the state. And I would, I would think probably because there's a, a backed winner in a state sanctioned school. Um, but regardless, there does need to be more option for sure. Uh, and uh, I, I think, I think that looks like on a community level as well uh, across the board. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the virtual learning though. I can see where it can work for some households though. I really could see where it could, could I guess I'm, since the nature of my 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 trade is why I'm not a huge fan of virtual learning, but I can only imagine how hard it is to teach virtual learning to a, like a six year old. Like like I love my son to death, but if you're not in front of him and grabbing his focus, like it's hard to get him to to stay on track. Now he's super smart. It's not that he's not smart. It's that he's six. He has a hard time keeping on track. You know, so if you if I put him in front of this screen and say, all right, she's going to teach you about this is your class. You know, she's going to teach you about the letter Z and words that go with the letter Z today. Uh, he's that's not I'm going to be I'm going to be frustrated and we'll make him do wall sits, you know, and, and it's just I, I, but that's a personal experience, you know, and that goes back to the whole option. My six-year-old is the one that went back to school. And the reason he went back to school is because my husband had to sit directly next to him just so that he would continue looking at the screen. So you're entirely on point correct. I think that, um, I think that, so I started homeschooling my two oldest kids uh, in kindergarten and first grade. And I could not do it. Because I could not teach those mother chunkers how to read. I just couldn't do it. I did not have it in me to teach these little jerks how to read. So now my 14-year-old, she can stay home. She is self-paced. She does her learning. We're good. She's done with school by noon. And she makes me a sandwich while I go to school. So, you know, but again, and this goes right back to um, what Hammett said. We need to be, we know our kids and we need to be able to do what's best for them. And realistically, that if the school system is what the school system says they're for, they should be just as interested as doing what is best for the kids and what will help the kids learn best as we are. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Oh, I completely well, agree with you. If, if 2020 had happened, I don't know, even four years ago, like I don't think either of mine would have been okay with virtual. Like, I, like it, it gives me nightmares just kind of thinking about it. If, if this had happened, you know, even four years ago, I don't think they would have sat and done it. Um, but yeah, both of them are, are, are like yours now, Trish. Uh, they're self-sufficient. They do it. And usually they're done by noon. I mean, they can go about their lives. Charlie got to have, you know, a, 
a vendor booth at the Tennessee and Georgia conventions because he didn't have school. So he got to work on his art. You know, he finished school, worked on his art, set up for the convention. I mean, we went down a couple of days early, you know, I, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So options are always a good thing. And that's what we're talking about with individualized education too, uh, Zeb. Um, if we have to teach a kid math, let's do it with dinosaurs because he likes dinosaurs. If we want to teach a kid chemistry, let's do it with uh, nail tech, you know, like talking about how much you need to mix to do this thing for fingernails. You know, you you um, that was something that they threw out there on Clubhouse. You do it based on what's the kid's interest or what they like to do. Something that I saw that was so cool when I was starting to homeschool was um, homeschooling with Minecraft. Exactly. You know, just anything like that, you know? We did some multiplication in Minecraft. What's six times four? You go build the blocks, six over and four up, and then you count them. Well, we got 24. It it helped. It was entertaining. We had a little fun, you know, and we got to build the house, you know, that kind of thing. And and you, you find ways to teach them, like uh, helping my son and uh, a friend of his would come over some and do some writing with us, like a couple classes with us just for fun. And so we'd do writing. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always picking on my kids and they're picking back. And so I'd say, you know, today we're going to write a story about how much you hate your teacher and how you're going to murder him. They loved it because they got to write about how they were going to kill me. And it, it was, you know, they had a good time and it wasn't like, well, can we write like 10 sentences? No, they were like, you know, they were, they were down. They were just tearing it up, writing about how they were going to kill me off. So it, it, it entertained them. They wrote the sentences, you know, they wrote the story. We talked about the grammar and, you know, all the things you got to talk about with writing, but it entertained them and, and it fit them. That was not going to work with the other kids because they might be a little freaked out by it. But with my kids, they love it. No, and that's that's kind of like the essence of, uh, of you know, I, I'd like to think what we call the liberty movement is projecting f option and promoting free thinking. And that's, that's kind of a hard thing. With it. It's a very hard thing in public education. Everybody's scared to death to be to be uh, to be canceled or or whatever situation you want to whatever you want to call it and uh you know i get a lot of questions from my students about different situations uh because i'm i'm not your typical looking teacher so to speak you know and uh a lot of times i say you know you don't really need to go off of what i say you need to make your own mind up you know have your own thoughts you know and i can tell you this is what something's going on here but I, I'm not going to tell you what to think about it, you know? And uh, I think what's even re more refreshing about it is like the sense of Liberty in this conversation here is that even though we all have slightly twerked different beliefs and what we're talking about, not once anybody was not a real libertarian, you know, uh, <laughs> not once was anybody like, ah, oh, that's your status. You know, you just, you just going to go on over their status I'm going to talk to you more. And that's, that's like, this is what needs to happen right here, but on a large, massive personal level. You know what I mean? And uh, that's I cool. I will appreciate it. I will tell you, we appreciate that. Can I harp on this for just one second? No, this, please go. This is what I'm on right now. I'm on this. Okay. I think that the singular biggest problem in, in government politics in our country is hyper partisanship, period. It's the single worst thing. 
because it, instead of it being this guy believes this, this guy believes this, now it's this guy believes this, and he's bad and evil for it. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just opinions. It is fundamental differences have turned into like sacrilege. So that is what I consider the single biggest thing that we face right now. And what's upsetting to me is that has seeped over into the Libertarian Party. So we have the factions, right? And, and the factions are more and more looking left and right. We're picking sides between the right and the left. And it's like, no, we're libertarians. We need to give the libertarian answer. And the libertarian answer is going to be the better answer. So like, this is, this is my thing that I'm harping on right now is equal rights and lefts for the right and left, you know? And, and realistically, we shouldn't be punching anybody anyway. We should just be talking about how awesome the libertarian party is and how awesome liberty is and and i really do appreciate the conversation that we had tonight for exactly that reason because we just got to talk about stuff instead of talking about you know i just want to stop regurgitating left and right agenda and say here free thinking here's me i put thought into this and this is what i think and then if someone says oh well that's very leftist no, actually, that's just how I feel about it. And I don't need you to put a label on it. I'm a libertarian and we're cool. You know, they, let me put my soapbox away. Thanks for letting me run off at the mouth about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, us, us uh, libertarians, we always we spend more time stabbing each other than we do the state. And that's one thing we got to get. We got to quit. Let's let's stab the state, not literally FBI, NSA guy, but. You know, let's let's uh, incrementally make the state smaller. How about we're going to stab it? We're going to make it smaller incrementally over time and quit fighting with each other because we will accomplish more if we're focused here and not on the other libertarian that has a different cultural view, social view or something else. Just alone. Let's both beat up in the middle of the screen. And when we're finished, beating, then we can argue about what those are. That's what, you know, I'm, I'm an anarchist, anarcho-capitalist, and you know, I go round and round with not too much with the minarchists because I don't care because I fully go along with the minarchists, the constitution. I'll get on with you and ride, and once we get to your minarchist, your constitutionalist, you know, utopia, and I'll argue with you about how much farther we need to go. But until we get there, I'm working with you. Hat Hammett, like the NSA and the CIA is legit watching you because, like, like they just blurred out, like they were, they definitely hacked into your system. The Matrix oh, is yeah. definitely onto this. That's why our algorithm's down. It's the Matrix, is what it is. Yeah, I had a friend I was talking to last night on the phone, and he's like, "I keep hearing this beeping. Are they are they listening to me?" And I'm like, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they're after me because I don't do anything. I just sit here and talk to people and." You know, I know I've got some ammo ordered, but, you know, Sportsman's Guide won't send it to me until July. It was supposed to be here in December. I mean, that's as violent as I am. I want to go shoot some paper. So go find some guy that's trying to buy a gun and kill people. I was about to scream. I thought you said you got ammo recently. Oh, well, I had. I mean, it's been a few weeks, but it's 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 few and far between. And yeah, I won't tell people my secret. Did you get did you get that from that guy? No, man, I didn't go with him. He was wanting me to like send it. I was like, let me just come by and buy it from you cash. 
and he, he was like, no, I'll leave you like an hour and a half away. And then I, I, I put it in ammo seek real quick and I found a better deal anyways. Oh, did you? Okay. I had to buy 500 rounds, but I mean, yeah, you got to buy 500. That's all right. But yeah, it's, it's few and far between, but I'm not spreading publicly how to find the ammo. It's, you know, there's not enough. I will. Ammoseek.com. <laughs> yeah, do that. My husband is a gunsmith and um, he actually started his business in the middle of COVID. And, you know, we were thinking, oh, this is going to this is going to be cool. He can just do a couple, you know, home builds or whatever. And then uh, there's nothing to there are no gun parts to be found or bought like at all anywhere at all. Yeah. <laughs> so. I bought I bought uh, guns with the first two stimulus checks and then the third one we're just kind of sitting on for now. I figure if the if the government's going to print money and wreck the economy and, you know, devalue the dollar, then I might as well do something with it they wouldn't be happy with. <laughs> if this rain would go away, I'd build my chicken coop, but it's like it's pouring on us. And if I have to work all the time. Trish, Trisha, I had I had a question for you. I, I thought of it earlier and then we got went down another path. But so do people in Clarksville know you're libertarian? I'm sure some of them do, but and, and I want to see, I, I, I would like to like ask this question again. And like when your term's up and then when you get reelected, you know, a few years down the road is like, how, how have people reacted to that? And are they like, cause it's new, it's new right now, but so it's, I'm curious now, but I'd also be curious in the future is what do they think of it? Are they like, she's just a crazy lady or are they like, you know what? She's kind of right on some of this stuff. And, and are you, will you be able to use that to draw people in our direction, even if you don't bring them all the way here? All right. That was a lot of questions. So let me try to tackle this. Um, first of all, honesty time. When I was running, I stayed away from the libertarian thing. That's because I was running for a nonpartisan position. Um, and I stuck with the independent. Uh, down toward the end of my end of my campaign, I started getting real honest. Like I, I started saying libertarian more than trying to stay away from it. Because at that point, it was just kind of like, I, I'm either going to do this my way, the right way, or I'm not going to do it. Because because I never wanted to get elected with people thinking I was something that I wasn't because all they're going to do is be upset with me. Right. So, however, when I got elected, I was right off the top and I, I never lied. If anyone asked me how I affiliated, I always told them. Um, but right, right after I got elected, it was finally like, now I can be honest. And it's not that I wasn't telling the truth. I was just not speaking all of the truths that I wanted to speak. Um, so to answer you on where we're at now. Okay. When I first got into office, uh, our, our city council flipped seven seats. So it was almost an entirely brand new. Um, it's the first city council Clarksville's ever had that's half black it's the first city council that Clarksville has ever had that is half female. Um, I know that we're probably all not fans of identity politics. I know I'm not a fan of identity politics, but it doesn't matter. It's historical. Uh, it's breaking barriers, um, glass ceilings, and a lot of people were excited about this. However, on that same token, a lot of the people that came in are known as liberal so they just lumped me in there, whether it's because I'm a female, whether it was because of I, I, the things that I ran on, I don't know, I don't care, but I did get lumped in with this new group and 
you know, people were thinking that I was a liberal, which is wild because I actually, I was hanging out with like the uh, different conservative groups here in town. Cause when I tried to go to the Democrat parties, they told me I wasn't allowed cause I was a libertarian. So after my first, um, I made it a point last month to put the two resolutions that I put forward was the, the 2A amendment city uh, and the cannabis decriminalization. And I put those on the agenda right next to each other at the same time on purpose. And it was to say, other than the fact that, that that's the right thing to do, it was to say, this is me. Stop thinking I'm this thing that you think I am. I'm not. Um, so I think that, and this, you're going to think this is crazy. I am not the craziest person sitting up there. And that's been very surprising for me. Um, I thought for sure, like my life is about to suck. Everyone's going to hate me. I'm going to be the dirty, rotten libertarian. And it's just, it just, for me, it hasn't been that way. And I was told, um, by the GOP here that, if I said I was a libertarian, I would absolutely lose. Here I am, not losing. Uh, the person who told me that actually sits on city council with me. Um, and then, you know, I, I, even going through different trainings and stuff, it's like, well, don't mention you're libertarian. Well, I would be in someone's house and they would say to me, how do you affiliate? And I would go, I'm a libertarian. And even knocking on doors, people would go, yes. And I'm like, what are you you like libertarians and they're like heck yeah i love the libertarians and i'm like so you know we do have we do catch a lot of hell and maybe it's because we're wearing boots or maybe it's because we're uh you know spewing philosophy instead of listening to the person that's standing in front of us but my experience running as a libertarian and being a libertarian in office um, has not been all the being in government sucks, but being a libertarian in government's been great for me. Sorry, that was kind of long, but that's my answer. That's good. So they they haven't tried to run you off for it. I'm just I'm just hoping that with with you being there, and they'll see the principles that you're putting forth. You know, freedom. The the, the two things you put forth are freedom. I think didn't you do one about the the Airbnb things too, the the, the short term rentals that everything you've done is freedom. It's not trying to take something away from somebody. It's trying to restore rights that they should have, or, you know, at least, you know, say, stake a claim on them, you know, put your flag down. This is our right. Don't try to take it away. And hopefully over time that will draw people more towards the libertarian party, which could then grow us, you know, to a, 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 a state house seat, a state senate seat, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we, we need more of those wins locally to get that message out that, you know, we're not just about smoking pot, even though that's, you know, what you put forth. <laughs> and just, just because I believe that everybody ought to be able to smoke pot doesn't mean I think you ought to smoke pot or whatever, you know. I mean, and some people have at it. I don't care. I mean, truly, I don't care. If, if it was legal, I wouldn't do it because I like I don't even like to drink more than a drink or two because I like having, I like my mind. I like being in the mind that I have. So, but I think if you want to go ahead and we shouldn't, I don't know. We just shouldn't, we need to stake the claim on those freedoms and tell the government to back off. 
so my mantra has been that freedom is linear. So I'm sticking with that. Um, you did ask me about bringing people into the party and, um, I, I actually have a super good record. Um, most of, not most of, but a large portion of the Montgomery County affiliate has come through my proselytization. Not really that, but you know, um, my daughter is the, uh, the at large, my sister is the chair, my best friend is the secretary, um, my mentor is the regional. Uh, I didn't bring him into the party. We even had two people show up at the state convention because they watched my campaign and they had seen that I was at convention and that spike was there, so they drove down. So, right. th and, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, I truly, truly don't. All right, and I don't focus on campaigns because I'm a politician. I was doing this long before uh, I won my seat. But the reason that I push that the Libertarian Party needs to be winning campaigns, it, it's twofold. But the biggest reason is what we've seen, and AJ, AJ pointed to this earlier, we have seen that people come in right after uh, the presidential election cycle, and then it's what? Nothing for the next three years, right? You get the ones that are excited for the first year or so, and then it dies down, all right? And I think that the reason for this is because people need small victories. You, If you're putting your heart and soul into something, you need to see, you have to have some gains, you know? So I think that it is important for us to run candidates and get people into office so people see that we, we are making headway and then they want to stay involved. So I think that that is the best way to get people to stay involved. And I think this because while I was campaigning, it's always, oh, you're a libertarian. Oh, well, who else is libertarian on the city council? Oh, well, who else, who's, who's our libertarian senator? You know what I mean? And, and you're just going, uh, um, and then the second thing is, and this is back to what you were saying, Robert, um, and I told Tom Arnold this actually three years ago. We need to grow our own candidates. I right now, right now, four months into sit Clarksville City Council, two, uh, 20,000 constituents, I have more legislative experience than a single person that was asking us to nominate them for the presidential run last year. Exactly. So we need to grow our own. So we need to start with a municipal candidate. And just like you said, Robert, then push them up to state level, then, you know, and, and then we saw with Gary Johnson, I think a lot of the reason Gary Johnson gained so much traction is if you look, the American voter is not everybody, even libertarians are philosophically like we are, right? They looked at, they looked and they said, oh, what are his credentials? Oh, he was a governor. I could vote for him, you know, and we don't like that. We don't have to like that, but that's the game, you know? And if we want to get, uh, Zeb was talking earlier, how many votes we got. If we want to get votes, I, we have to play the game like they're playing the game. We just have to do it better and we have to do it with principles. So I, I'm a big fan of the grow your own. I think we need to start municipal level because what happens in 10 years, What and, and this isn't me, but what happens in 10 years when Trish Butler runs for the presidential nomination? You get to see my voting record. You have proof of my principles. And, and we deserve that. The Libertarian Party deserves that. We deserve good candidates. And I'm not saying that the candidates that we don't have 
uh, that we have are not good. They are, but we can make it even better and we should all be trying to make it better. That should be what we're doing here. Yeah. You get a, you, you get a track record, not just the, I believe this because we all see the politicians. I believe a B and C and then they get to wherever they're going and they do D E and F. We want to see that you're actually, that you've actually stood by the principles that you're espousing so that we know that you're going to continue to do that in the future. Cause that's what we want. Not, well, you know, yeah, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah, not Bill Weld. The, so that, you know, we don't want to see you endorse Hillary Clinton in the future. That's. <laughs> I think I'm getting on to where I got to get to bed, y'all. Yeah, I was about to say, we're getting on the back end of it. So uh, this is the segment where we give you all the uh, first off. I want to thank you all both. Me and, me and Hammond want to thank you all for coming on. And uh, the after party and trying to, as we grow, see you all grow. Love to see 10 more Trisha Butlers out there on some type of council. Maybe get a libertarian sheriff out there one day. I don't know. See some craziness going on. Uh, definitely love all. Really enjoyed the discussion. Uh, AJ, appreciate you coming on and you uh, your efforts out on the Whiskey region. Uh, we're gonna, This is the part where we give you all the, the last word. Uh, I'm going to start with... Uh, you well, Trish, and then with you. What's up, Rob? What you're going to give him the last word. I got to get the next, the next, last word in. <laughs> Appalachian region, Kings, Kingsport, April third. I think it's at seven. We're having an axe throwing. AJ's going to come up, and hang out with us. So come up, throw some axes, put an apple on your head. Probably not because I probably not. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, that would be bad. I'm a nurse. I think that's a terrible idea. Um, I can't fix that. <laughs> So that's awesome. So uh, Appalachian Region meetup, uh, Kingsport, Axe Kingsport, right? Axe House or something. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a look on the on the regional page. I've shared it. Chris Darnell shared it. It's out there. Uh, April 3rd. I think it's at 7. I'll be sure to say it's at 7 o'clock. Make sure you say you're coming because they have to sign up for the exact number of people that are coming. Right on. Very well. Now, like now that I got the next, the next, the last word, well, let y'all have the last one. Yeah, definitely let um, let AJ have the last, last word because I really don't have a whole lot left. Um, y'all know you can always reach out to me if you need anything. Um, right now, I am on the list of they're voting on favorite elected official, which is insane because I've only been in office for four months. But uh, So if you get that link, go ahead and, and click vote for me. You can vote once a day. I would just really... Um, my mentor, who's also a libertarian, he's on the list, too. And I would really love to clinch those top two spots and just show everybody that libertarians are the best. Um, and, you know, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for having me. You rock. All right, AJ, all right. you get the last word. All right. Lawrence County. The Jumbo Gumbo Jamboree at 12 p.m. It is at 106 Waterloo Street in Lawrenceburg. We will be there this Saturday with bells on. And not only will you get to see me uh, struggle through a speech, you actually get to hear some good speakers like Dave <laughs> and Tom Arnold. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Spencer Hand has been working very hard on the gumbo. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the axe throwing the very next week. Looking forward to it. Uh, so much fun. Thank you all for coming on. And everybody, hit the thank like and share. You. And uh, thanks for coming to the after party. <laughs>